Hi, I'm Steph, and this is the Money Flirt Podcast. The Money Flirt was born from the idea that we all deserve to have a lighthearted, flirty, and fun relationship with money. My personal journey with money was anything but flirty up until fairly recently. A few years ago, I started to investigate the ways that I was programmed since childhood to think and behave around money. I've since done a ton of work on this area of my life in the form of coaching, spirituality, embodiment practices, nervous system regulation, and a lot more. Yes, I've done a lot, but in the past year, I've skyrocketed my money healing by doing one very simple yet powerful action on a regular basis. I openly talk about money. Shame cannot exist when light is cast upon it, and this has truly been my secret sauce for up-leveling my money habits and feelings around wealth. So I'm here to create a space for people to talk with me about their money story. I'm here to champion the brave souls who acknowledge their shame and to cheer on their success as well. No matter who you are, where you're from, or what you did, you have a money story. Time for the obligatory, let's get into the episode. Hola friends, boy are you all in for a treat today. My guest Kyra is a phenomenal writer, speaker, mindfulness coach, and I enjoyed interviewing her to my very core. The purpose of today's intro is twofold. I want to talk about some of the terms that Kyra and I use in our conversation, and I also want to tell you where we learned these ideas. So the program that links Kyra and I is a space called To Be Magnetic, or TBM. TBM is a process that combines um, neural manifestation, hypnosis, and taking aligned action to manifest the things that you desire in life. If you're interested in learning more about the process, I recommend checking out their podcast called Expanded. TBM is a powerful process where the bulk of the work occurs through healing your own relationship to self, thereby becoming a more magnetic version of you. So yes, you end up manifesting the things you want, but the beauty really lies in becoming a fuller, more authentic version of who you're meant to become. A few terms that Kyra and I use in our episode are expander, magnetic parent, shadow, and calling in. These terms are not only used in TBM work, but they're also used in psychotherapy as well. You can think of an expander as someone whom you admire, but it's more than just that. An expander is a person or many different people that show you that your dream is possible. Before doing this work, I would often see people on Instagram who seemed to have the life that I desired and I would get incredibly envious of them. Why would this occur? My envy came from a place of very low self-worth, seeing someone with a thing that I wanted and thinking to myself, I'll never have that. It's not fair. Must be nice. Now that I have this framework of expander, I can totally flip the script and think, wow, that person has an amazing life and I want to emulate part of their success in my own way. If it worked for her, then it can work for me. How can I learn from this person? In what ways have they been able to get where they are today? I should reach out to her and see if she's open to having a new friend. You can have many different expanders for many different parts of your life, and they may even surprise you. Uh, For example, one of my expanders is celebrity hairstylist Jen Atkin. It's not that I want to be a celebrity hairstylist, but I am inspired by her success to combine her passion with so many other things. Her sense of humor, her quest for knowledge, her devotion to self-growth, and her generosity. To me, she shows up on Instagram incredibly authentic and honest and real. When I read her book, Blowing My Way to the Top, I felt as though she was speaking directly to me, telling me how I can step into that life. She came from a small town in Utah, which is similar to me, 
well, I didn't grow up in Utah, but small town, and she had big dreams. She prioritized being of service and being herself, and she's become incredibly successful in this way. Another TBM phrase I'd like to explain is magnetic parent. This phrase comes from the inner child work that's part of the program. Many therapists, including Dr. Nicole LaPera, the holistic psychologist on Instagram, refer to the inner child work as key in healing past trauma. During inner child work, you reflect on events from your childhood, examine their impact on your adult life, and you can rewrite these events in a way that's more nourishing to your psyche. Part of the process can be imagining different ways or events that you were modeled as a child and reimagining them using a magnetic parent, so with a different outcome and sometimes with a different person. You can think of a magnetic parent as like a hired actor to play the part of your real of your real parent. So if you were modeled overspending as a child, you can imagine a magnetic parent to show you how to save money and how to think through purchases rather than spending without a set plan. In my talk with Kyra, I mentioned that I'd like her to be my magnetic parent so that when I do inner child work, I can use her as a model of how to cultivate joy around money. The point here is not to get you to jump into inner child work. It's pretty heavy stuff, but to remember that we're not 100% fixed in our money stories. We have the power to still change our subconscious money scripts if we choose to do the work. With this kind of inner child work, I've been able to understand and change some, but not all, of my knee-jerk reactions to money. These stories are deep, and I've only really scratched the surface, but I'm so proud of how far I've come in the journey, and I'm so excited to continue moving forward. My motto for 2022 is keep going. Kyra Evans is an author, speaker, and certified mindfulness instructor. She works with clients one-on-one and with corporate groups to transition out of overwhelm, release self-criticism, optimize communication, and remain grounded during periods of uncertainty. In June 2021, she self-published her first book, The Dictionary of Limiting Beliefs, Transforming Your Inner Narrative to Manifest a Wholehearted Life. She lives in a little cabin in the woods in Canada with her husband, daughter, and German Shepherd. I know you're going to love this interview. Kyra is incredibly inspiring. She has a way of breaking down. We talk about this, breaking down complicated um, ideas into simple, easy to understand language. And yeah, she's just um, a huge inspiration and my magnetic parent. (laughs) So I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll see you at the end. All right, Kyra, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. You're such an inspiration to me as an aspiring writer. And I love the way that you and your Instagram page tackle and talk and really get down deep into some of these abstract things like, or seemingly abstract things like codependency. It's just so fascinating how you put words to experiences that is needs to be talked about more. And I know that you're resonating with a lot of people. So I'm really excited to talk with you today about about all of that, about your work, about your money story. And yeah, and to get started, I'd love to just give you a little bit of space to talk about what it is that you do, the work that you do, and some context about who you are. Awesome. I'm so excited to be here chatting with you. So thank you for having me on. Uh, My name is Kyra Evans. I'm a writer and a speaker and a certified mindfulness instructor. So I work with clients one-on-one and also with corporate groups. 
providing workshops and executive retreats and also building a curriculum for employee wellness programs. And earlier this year, I self-published my first book, which was very exciting. It's an ebook called The Dictionary of Limiting Beliefs, Transforming Your Inner Narrative to Manifest a Wholehearted Life. And uh, yeah, I'm working on a proposal for my second book, which will be really exciting. I'm doing that, looking for a literary agent for that one. I'm going to go the traditional route and write a formal proposal and start querying and that whole process there. And as you mentioned, I write on Instagram. I'm there pretty much daily. I started my career, the majority of my career actually was spent as a copywriter, a tech and finance copywriter. So writing for the marketing and advertising industry. And I really feel like that background informs the writing that I do now because the skill set that I built was very much learning how to take complex concepts and turn them into easy explanations. And so I was doing that before primarily for tech and finance. And then now I use that exact same skill to talk about things, as you mentioned, like codependency and people pleasing and um, conflict avoidance, et cetera. So um, yeah. And the other, I live in a little cabin in the woods in Canada. About four years ago, my family and I packed up from the city and and moved to the woods and it's been um eventful <laughs> I would say. so yeah that's me in a nutshell that's so cool we have something else in common I'm currently an instructional designer and so when you said that piece about yeah breaking down complex topics into manageable relatable nuggets that's that's essentially what I do as well and I found that really helpful in my um, content for the money flirt is being able to repackage some of these these topics into ways that make sense to a wider um, audience. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a good skill set to have to be able to take a big concept and think about it sort of systematically and understand how to break it down into you know manageable bites and steps that you can take someone through. I feel like it's a really it's relevant for all different aspects of, of life. You can really take that any way you want. So good for us. Good for us, good honestly. For us. <laughs> and good for the world. They get to hear our ideas in bite-sized chunks. <laughs> so good. Um, so I start each podcast with uh, episode with a question or like the prompt, tell me about your experience with money growing up. And I ask this because it. the more I've learned about money and, and money trauma and things like our money scripts, it, a lot of it comes from our childhood because we're born with obviously neutral attitude about money. And so we learn things in our own unique path. So I just would love to hear a little bit about yeah, your experience with money as a child. Yeah. So I was raised by hippies and they were musicians. So my parents actually met because their bands were both playing at the same folk festival, which is pretty cool. And um, somewhere around the time when they got married and decided to have a family, they made the decision to sort of shift and do the like, quote unquote, smart thing and the responsible thing. And so they left music and my dad had gone to medical school and he took over the family optometry practice and my mom became a stay at home mom. And Obviously, there are a lot of benefits financially to that decision. Like, for sure, I benefited from that a lot. The flip side of the coin was that I was very much raised with this ethos of, like, do the smart thing 
not the thing that brings you joy and you can't make money in the arts and be responsible, not fun, Mm. (laughs) basically. So that's a lot of what I've had to sort through. Those are some of the biggest things in my own money narrative that I've had to sort of sift through in my adulthood. And especially since I have been drawn to, I've worked as a writer for my entire career. Definitely when you're a little kid and you say you want to be a writer, people are like, that's not a job pursuing any any kind of creative pursuit, really. I think you have to sift through those kind of cultural narratives. So that's very much been uh, my story. Gosh, another commonality. I also wanted to, you know, I proclaimed wanting to be a writer as a kid. And what you said about doing the smart thing, gosh, not everyone had that story, but I think uh, collectively many people had that instilled and as a, as a value of like, you know, don't, don't do the thing that you love or the creative passion, do the smart thing. Can you talk a little bit more about how maybe some of those um, stories manifested for you as an adult? Yeah. I mean, I think that the trouble, so it was very growing up, it was very much the expectation was that I would become a doctor. That was sort of, that was like the one thing that I was supposed to do. And I tried um, really hard to become a doctor. But the trouble was that I'm not actually a doctor. I'm a writer. <laughs> so, um, try as I might to pursue that path. Writing just kept coming up again and again and again. And it's, I think that you know, people ask me a lot, like, how do I know if I'm a writer? And, and I think if you're a writer, you don't really need to a- ask that question. Like for me, I'm, I write every single day, no matter what is going on. And I notice that I'm like grumpy and a troll when I don't write every day. It's just like, it's a compulsion that I have. It's just something that I have to do as a creative outlet and a a way that I understand the world around me. So I think that what wound up happening was that because I was supposed to be a doctor, there was a lot of like sort of floundering around and wasted time trying to like, okay, well, maybe I'll pursue this route. Like at one point I thought, well, maybe I'll do psychology, which is interesting because now I sort of write about psychology. So I feel like it's the best of all worlds in that respect. I thought I would be a teacher. I sort of went into the corporate world. And on the one side, I wish that I had just sort of like gone for writing right at the from at right out of the gates. On the other hand, it's interesting to look back and see, you know, now that you have perspective, you can at the time, it's like all loose threads, right? Mm. And then after 20 years or whatever, you look back, you can see the other side of the tapestry for the the actual design that it's meant to be. I can see how everything is woven together in my life right now. Um, but that, you know, be responsible, do the smart thing, that comes up again and again because I, for instance, relatively recently left copywriting to go into what I'm doing now, writing in my own voice and... Um, gaining my mindfulness instructor certification and and working more in that realm, at which point all of these same voices reared their ugly head again because, you know, finance and tech copywriting is good, solid, stable income. And I was really good at it on top of it, right? Which complicates things when the money's good and you're good at something, it's like, mm, does it really make sense to leave that behind? Um And the answer, the short answer is it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And sometimes 
We need to just take the leap of faith that brings us joy for once rather than doing the smart thing. I think particularly when we're people who are raised to be good little students and good girls in that way. Wow, gosh. <laughs> Where to begin? I love so much what you said about the, the the loose threads and the tapestry is such a beautiful visual. You are such a writer. You're, that's so poetic and, and not only poetic, but it really does, um, it makes sense to, to think of your story in that way. And I think the more we lean into like that whole being the hero of your own life, we can position our, our narrative like that, where we're looking now, now I'm looking for the loose threads and I'm like, this isn't by accident. Like what you said, it's all the steps kind of play out as they're supposed to. So it's really beautiful. And I'd like to, to pivot just a, a little bit to talk about your book because the limiting beliefs piece is, it shows up in our lives in so many areas and it does show up in, in our money story. And so, yeah, if you can tell us a little bit about your book and then how it relates to some limiting beliefs about money. Yeah, absolutely. The The book was also a really big step for me in terms of that transition. It was the first big piece of writing that I put out under my own name. I was very conscious of not wanting to be a perfectionist about it mm -hmm. in creating it. It was, I set aside time to write it and to edit it. And then it was like, this is the publication date and I'm putting it out there no matter what. Hell yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I'm I'm glad that I did that. I really like to think about things in terms of just like stirring up energy in the universe. And I think the second that you take an action like that, naturally as a writer, I really see symbolism and metaphor in everything. And, and I think that's a very symbolic step to make a grand gesture like that. Mm -hmm. um, and what I really wanted to do in writing the book was I wanted to write the book that I really needed at the beginning of my awakening, essentially. I'm someone who had struggled uh, very much with deep, deep self-loathing for many, many years and um, very extremely critical of myself. And it's interesting because the genesis of the book was actually sort of toward the beginning of the pandemic. I took a course. I had been into like you know, manifestation and things like this for a while. And I took a course that was about like the quantum physics of manifestation and, yeah. and sort of the nitty gritty science <laughs> yes. of how things work. And I took the course and I was doing, I'm a diligent little student. So I was doing all of the exercises that the teachers wanted me to have. And I kept visualizing the way that they were recommending. And every time I would visualize, I would come up with this voice would creep into my head going like, yeah, but you can't have that. Mm. Nah, that's not for you. Yeah, but you fucking suck. Mm. So you're not going to be able to do that thing. And I kept asking the instructors, you know, you, they have like, they do those lives where you can ask questions. And I was like, I just have this voice in my head that like keeps telling me that I'm the worst actual person in the world. And like, I feel like it's kind of messing with my buzz. And they were like, don't worry about it. Just keep visualizing. Um, keep going. You're not the exception to the rule. And I was like, uh, okay, kind of feel mm. like that doesn't sit right with me. And what was taking place was that I just had a number of limiting beliefs that my 
very self-critical inner voice was repeating to me again and again. And I wished that I had some kind of like a reference manual that I could just dive into a very organized book that I could look up like this is the limiting belief that I'm dealing with and then have some insight as to how to reprogram it or how to move through it, like just some practical steps of like, what do I do with this? And so that's why I wrote the Dictionary of Limiting Beliefs. And I pulled readers from across the world and I compiled all of their most common limiting beliefs, turned out to be 49 of them. And each chapter is divided by the limiting belief in alphabetical, by the topic of limiting beliefs um, in alphabetical order. So there's limiting beliefs about partnership and romance, money, emotions, um, imposter syndrome, and on and on. And so, yeah, one of the chapters is limiting beliefs about money, because I really do feel like, as you know, hence hence your podcast, it's one of the most charged topics emotionally, right, oh, that we totally. really deal with. Yes, this is so exciting. The book sounds amazing. And I'd love to hear more details about that money chapter if you'd care to share. Yeah. So every chapter I go into like a little sort of explanation of what just from um, a coaching perspective, like what get in there and sort of let's loosen up some of the stuck beliefs that are sitting in your subconscious. Let's reframe them. Let's try to take an opposite look at what our beliefs are from an opposite perspective. Could we also believe that? Does that free up some space for us in terms of how we feel about money? And then from there, the most common beliefs that came back were it's not fair when others make money. You need lots of money to be successful. Wanting money makes you bad or superficial. You should be grateful and not ask for more. And fun things don't make money spending money is irresponsible. So with each of those beliefs, then I go in and talk about the belief a little bit more deeply and then provide just some questions, some journal prompts, a couple of meditation suggestions for how to access where the origin of the limiting belief came from and then to reprogram it and, and heal that origin space. And then you can move on to creating a new affirmation or whatever that taking action. But it's, as you know, very important to heal that root before you move on to taking action and, and repeating affirmations as well. Oh my gosh, totally. Like if I could choose one of those, like one that really stuck out to me is spending money is irresponsible. I do a lot of reprogramming like hypnosis and reprogramming around yeah, this word irresponsible. And mm. it's such an interesting concept because I think, yeah, that's a story that we get told as, as kids about what, what's, it's all very black and white. <laughs> so what are some things that you talk about in around that limiting belief? Yeah, I, I agree with you. It is a really sticky one, right? And I'm, I'm actually reading a, a book right now called, was recommended to me called We Should All Be Millionaires. Oh, love that book. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So I'm reading it right now. And she in it talks a lot about that idea that women in particular are given this message that like you have to save your money, you have to be the responsible one, cut back those lattes or you'll never be a millionaire, mm -hmm. you know, rather mm -hmm. than like, here's how you should actually invest. So I think that it's really a matter of reframing a lot of the there's the cultural aspect that all of us were subjected to. And that's one thing. And then there's the personal aspect that's going to be unique 
to everyone. So in the book, I really take a look at that limiting belief and talk about shifting out of like spending money into the idea of circulating money. This is an interesting one for me, too, because I had a, a awakening a few years ago, like re- relatively recently. I was somebody who considered myself to be like a minimalist for a long time. And I r- really started to realize the fact that a lot of the minimalism was not actually minimalism. And it was rooted in just super low self-worth and denying myself. And so I think that's the really that's. That's the sticky intersection point to examine with this limiting belief. Um, Spending money is irresponsible. A lot of the time, in my opinion, it comes not from or the, the stickier part isn't so much the cultural. You should save and be responsible. The stickier part is that that cultural resonance masks the low self worth inside. So an example of this, like a super extreme example, is when my uh, when my daughter was a really tiny baby, she just like screamed for the first three months of her life. <laughs> and um, I lost my dad, who was my best friend, six days before I gave birth. Oh and so it was just like a super traumatic time. And I was awake all night. And I was up all night with her sitting on the floor of the nursery because I was like, oh, well, I don't need a rocker. Like I don't need a glider or whatever those fancy nursing chairs are called. Yeah. I'm okay. I can sit on the floor, right? And I think back on it now and I'm like, well, it's not that we couldn't afford to buy the chair, but for some reason there was a part of me that was going, I thought, well, it's more, I need to be responsible and not overspend right now. And I need to, I don't need that. I'm a minimalist. I can live with. And so I think that intersection is an interesting place to look at when reprogramming this one. When we think about spending, not spending money, but rather circulating money and how lucky we are that we can put money out, I really, again, in stirring that energy, I think when we do put money out thoughtfully, purchasing things that that make our lives easier and that make us feel more abundant, I think we stir up the energy again symbolically in a direction that brings more money back to us. This is also a one where there's the reprogramming, emotional healing aspect. And then like many things, there's the practical element of we need to be taking small action in real time to prove to ourselves that the world doesn't end when we spend on something that's meaningful to us. Hi guys, I'm interrupting just really quick to talk about my new offer money story makeovers this is a space to explore your money story with me during a 90 minute one-on-one session this is a pretty unique thing that i'm offering and it's it's pretty easy to find a financial advisor or a financial coach that aligns with your values to create a system for your money but as you know my specialty is digging into the emotional side of the money stuff My gifts are in creating compassionate, safe spaces for you to put words to your money anxiety in a new way, in a way that honors your subconscious beliefs and sets you up to rewrite them. During the Money Story Makeover sessions, we'll explore the impact that your childhood had on your current money story. I'll guide you to see some of the patterns that are repeating, the good and the bad. Not everything that we're modeled in childhood is necessarily negative, but many of us have negative associations with money growing up that are hard to pinpoint. I remember thinking that I'm nothing like my parents when it comes to money, 
But the more I dug into the story, the more I realized that almost all my money behaviors stemmed from watching them and internalizing their poverty mindset. So in these standalone coaching, coaching sessions, we'll explore your relationship to money in three ways. Uncovering the impact your childhood has on your current money blocks, putting language to your tender areas around money, bolstering your money EQ, which is emotional intelligence, so that you can begin to feel lighter in your interactions with money. You'll come away with a literal new money script that gives language to your money blocks, personalized homework to move forward and improve your relationship with money, ideas for implementing money dates that encourage your specific areas of healing, and so much more. I'm just really excited to offer this new experience and please uh, reach out for, to me if you have any questions about this offer, slide into my DMs and we can talk. To sign up for a money story makeover, head over to Instagram and send me a DM at the money flirt and we will talk about setting up an appointment. Uh, P.S. I do use a sliding scale pricing model based on income. So we'll talk about that if you have any questions. All right, back to the episode. Okay, that was just a masterclass right there. <laughs> so good. Oh my god. So one of the many nuggets that I wanted to 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 call out, call up, call forward, whatever. I always say call out in the wrong context. I'm like, I'm not calling you out. I'm calling it forward. But that idea of that collective, especially the story around minimalism, and one thing that I've been learning a lot, and I take a course called Trauma of Money, is asking the question, whose shame is this? And that's such a great example of like the minimalist movement, which is like can be a really beautiful thing, but we have to sharpen our skills around discernment because if you're using it, it's just as like very dogmatic and just like following whatever principles let put forth by someone else, then yeah, you can carry that shame that isn't even yours. It's like someone else told you that buying things is shameful. And that's such a great example of like the rocker, right? Where your life and your, you know, your baby's soothing would have, you could have been improved by just having a, a purchase like that. And so it's such a important point that I'm always like listening for like, oh, what's going to be the teaser? And there were so many in what you just said, because like that was really really profound about the cultural piece and the collective, um, a bit of hive mind behind that too. Um, so thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I think the other piece was, yeah, taking these small aligned steps. And I know Ramit Sethi, he's an author, I will teach you to be rich. And he, his whole thing about spending is, is creating a conscious spending plan where you're really awake and in tune and, and purposeful about how you're spending and just the piece about <laughs> women and like, yeah, being shamed for spending as women. And so often women are, um, burdened with the $3 questions about the lattes and the overspending where men as are given in general, you know, the $30,000 question, which is like investing and, and managing large amounts of money. So, Holy moly. That was so good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a sticky it's a sticky one, right? And money, I know we had talked about going into some mindfulness for money too and I think because money is so sticky and it is so emotionally charged, it's really the perfect um focal point for a mindfulness practice. And I think it's something that, you know, for your listeners who are looking for practical 
tips as they up-level their money story, mindfulness can really, I think, play a huge role in that nervous system component too that we were talking about earlier. Um, And for anyone, I'm positive that your listeners um, are aware, but I never like to leave anyone out. So mindfulness isn't the same thing as meditation. Meditation is wonderful and we can practice mindfulness while we're meditating, but they're two sort of distinct concepts. Mindfulness is really just paying attention to your sensory experience in the present moment without judgment. We don't need to make meaning. We don't need to decide if something is good or bad. We can just witness it exactly as it is. And when I'm teaching mindfulness, one of the first things that I like my students to do is to identify flag states and flag topics. And what I mean by that is any topic or emotional state that takes you instantly out of the present moment and money is one of those, right? Because when we start to think about money, we instantly leave where we are and we go into either worrying about the future or dreaming about the future or ruminating in stories from the past. We're not in the present moment at all as we're mm-hmm. thinking about money. Mm-hmm. And anytime that we leave the present moment, we're suffering. That's where suffering lives, right? So I think that an, a quick and easy practical tip would be when you sit down, I know in your podcast, one of your episodes, you guys were talking about having a date with your money and mm-hmm. taking time to really devote energy and, and emotional consideration to your money. So if you're if you're doing that, or even when you're just sort of paying a bill, take a minute, center yourself in the present moment by taking a nice deep breath, and then ask yourself, what do I see hear and feel right now in this present moment and as you ask yourself this these questions you might find that an emotion arises so let's say it's anxiety maybe you're sort of in a lack space because you're feeling frightened about your diminishing bank balance once you pay this bill just notice the anxiety arise You know, so much of our suffering comes from resisting our emotions rather than just witnessing them as they are and welcoming them in. Just you can say to the anxiety, hi, anxiety, that's okay. You're welcome to be here right now. And then just get curious about how it presents. So where do you feel the anxiety in your body? For me, it's often in my chest. It feels like a a balloon inflating that's taking up all of the airspace inside my chest. So I can notice that sensation. Okay. And then I can just note that to myself. That's a feel. All right. What do I hear and what do I see right now? And I really have seen in my one-on-one, you know, with my one-on-one clients and then with my, the larger corporate groups as well, that taking those little mindful moments, even like two or three minutes, just can make a huge impact in the energy that you bring to the activity that you're about to do. Yeah. As you were describing that, I was picturing myself going through it, doing some visualization. A sticky point for me is right now currently is investing my IRA and my retirement accounts. And it's something that had initially set up. I was really gung-ho about it. And then I've been avoidant for the past couple of months, actually. I've, I did a lot of (laughs) 
preaching about like, wow, this is so cool. Everyone should do it. And then I didn't even do it. It's almost <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like avoiding that whole experience and and really not, you know, I, I want to call in more mindfulness about what's going on there. And so this will be a great activity that I'll do when I, this, after this call, I'm going to Aww. go in and, and take a couple of steps in, in toward investing. And so this is really, I love this practical nature of it because it's well and good to talk about all of this stuff, but to actually have some practices that make sense in the, the day-to-day and that don't require like necessarily, you don't need a, a coach to do this. Like it's great to have a coach and a guide and mentor to, to do these things. But if you're really suffering and struggling right now, that's a great takeaway. So thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, you're so welcome. That's really what I, that's where I love to live is in that space of let me explain what's taking place the energy of what's happening here as clearly as possible, and then give you really practical, actionable steps that you can take to move through and and to heal what's happening. Because I am really a self-help junkie. I've read like all of the things <laughs> and I'm just obsessed with like with bettering myself. But so much of the content that's out there is like, okay, yes, like I get it. But what's next? There's always like a missing like I just need a, a little bit more here, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's what I try to give in in my work is that like a little bit more. So good. A a question came to mind, and if you feel comfortable sharing, because you are a mother, I'm really curious how you talk about money and model this relationship with money to your daughter. Yeah, it's an interesting one, right? I think that there's being a mom and being a working mom is really charged. And we're very much taught as women that we're supposed to be all things to all people and that's an impossibility. And so mom guilt is something that I struggle with constantly despite the fact that I am like a just ridiculously committed helicopter parent mother and delivering 100% at work as well and yet still it's never enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Still I feel guilty about about one way or the next. And so for my daughter it's been important to for me to show her the example of myself pursuing my own goals. And she's now watched me start a couple of businesses, get a couple of businesses off the ground. And I, I very much took her along on that path with me. When I first started my copywriting business, she was like really, really little. And I wanted to make this storyline relevant to her. And I wanted to show her the benefits of making money for yourself and pursuing something that's of interest to you. So um, when I first started, I was getting like really tiny checks at first. But every time that I got a check in the mail, she and I would go to the bank branch and I would let her put the check into the little envelope oh and then gosh. slip it really quick into the deposit. Mm-hmm. And then even if there was like 30 people in line behind us, we would do the check dance. Hell yeah. So <laughs> we would like do a little dance with each other, like feel in the groove. 
And then I would take a little chunk of that check and take her out for, we called it a fancy lady lunch. Oh my God. It wasn't fancy at all, but we just went to like this little restaurant near us and had cheeseburgers and little, you know, drinks with umbrellas or whatever. Every single check, I wanted to make sure that I was showing her the benefit of being a woman pursuing your dreams. And, and also I wanted to show myself, given that I was recovering from this belief of don't be irresponsible, don't spend money. I wanted to build a celebration into every check that I received. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is that is so incredible. That is so that's expanding me right now because I'm like that's just such a great way to model this behavior. Cause a lot of times we think about, Oh, my parents never taught me this about finance. It's like, well, no, you didn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter what they like quote unquote teach you. It's like what they showed you and how you experienced money. And it's such a beautiful image to, to think about doing. Yeah. The check dance and the celebration piece of it. And the fact that she's seen you grow something from thin air and like, you know, whatever struggles have come with that is also important for her to see. And so that's really powerful. I'm so, I'm so glad you share that. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. You're so welcome. I think too, it's also important to lean into, you know, I'm very much a believer in the fact that when children come to us, they are like a whole person and personality and they know exactly who they are. And that's really my daughter's 12. And that is from birth. That's how we've raised her. Like, you know, yourself, you have great instincts what can I do to help you trust yourself and lean into what feels good for you? And my daughter is, for anyone who's into astrology, my daughter is a Taurus. Mm. She is, she loves her material possessions. <laughs> She's, she is very much like a creature of the earth. Mm. And so we let her lean into that. Like I, I'm, she's an only child. I am a big fan of the idea that milk spoils and children don't. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm happy to I, I live to shower her in presence and and uh, help her to, you know, get the things that she wants in life and to feel no shame in enjoying them. Oh, so great. Oh, my gosh. You are going to be my magnetic parent. <laughs> <As I go through. laughs> Yay! I love being a magnetic parent. Yeah, People that's... say that to me and I'm like, yeah, that's like my favorite. I really, in my career, like the biggest thing that I want to offer people is comfort. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that's a big part of being a magnetic parent. So beautiful. I love listening to these podcasts as I edit them because I'm healing so much as I ask questions and I get new perspectives on things. And I'm so grateful for you and your story because that's something I... I haven't really thought about, I'm not a parent, but I'm curious about how people who are doing this work and healing different parts of their life, how they integrate that and, and model it for their, for their kids. And I say model intentionally because it's not really about teaching your kids. Like it's just being you and, and being and showing up authentically is what they're going to notice because you think about when we do inner child healing, you're almost never going back to like a sentence you heard. It's like a behavior that you saw and like mm -hmm. kids are just, you know, they're absor absorbing all the behaviors and the energy. And so it's beautiful to, to think about different ways of, of parenting and showing that. I have my last question, which is something I ask everyone and I'm I'm so excited to hear your answer for this, but 
Um, it's a concept I also, I've talked about Ramit a few times. He's, he's really a powerful author and I just have taken so much from his teachings, but he talks about conscious spending and creating this uh, conscious life. And part of that is creating your personal rich life and what that looks like for you. So tell me, what is your rich life? Yeah, I've thought a lot about this as well. I think, um, <clears throat> and it's a great question. So thank you for asking it. I think anytime that you're going through a career transition, I think it's natural to ha allow your mind to wander there or encourage your mind to wander to that space because you have to have the payoff in the distance, right? You have to have something that you're, that you're moving towards. Um, I am like, a really boring person. <laughs> I have like two things that I like to do. <laughs> and so um, when I think about a rich life for me, honestly, if I truly, if I can just have time to write books and then talk about them, that's what my rich life is going to look like. Mm -hmm. In my ideal world, you know, right now I'm juggling a lot of plates spinning plates in the air and I dream about the day where I'll have like you know three solid weeks to sit down and just like write all day and then get something done in one big chunk and be able to send it out and then focus on the next project. I'm very fortunate in that I've really built a life for the last many years where I'm working for myself. So I'm accustomed to having my own schedule and which is really nice and working from home. And my daughter is at home doing remote school the past couple of years as well. So we're we're all together in our little cabin here. So definitely lots of quality time with family and then um, just truly being able to read and write and then talk about what I write. That's all. Mm, I love that. And you're doing it. This is it. <laughs> you're doing it. This is your rich life. It's it, That's the tricky part, right, is reminding yourself like, oh, yeah, just because the millions haven't started rolling in doesn't mean that it's not happening right now, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So beautiful. So I'd like to, to kind of wrap up and just give you some space to talk about, you know, what it is that you're currently working on or any other things you can point us, uh, the listeners, to to learn more about you and your work. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love it if everyone could follow me on Instagram. I'm at Kyra underscore Evans underscore writer. I post there daily and I don't have a team. So it's just it's just me. If you write me, send me a DM, let me know you found me through the podcast. I'll say hello and we can connect that way. I, as I mentioned, I do one-on-one -on -one sessions. My training is in mindfulness, but the majority of the one-on-one -on -one sessions I do, unless it's for a corporate executive team, the individual sessions I do tend to be more deep emotional healing, inner child, shadow work, sort of intuitive-based practices that way. And then I'm really loving also working with corporate groups and, and leading corporate retreats. When I think about, you know, how are we going to move the world into a healthier, more inclusive space. You know, it definitely begins at the individual level and then something that we can do to really clunk, clunk, like move it forward <laughs> in a big way is adjusting the way that big 
corporations respond to their employees and if they take an interest in mental health and well-being. And so um, right now I'm working with some big multinational corporations as well, building out some curriculum for them. That's been very exciting for me. I'm always looking to take on new corporate and um, individual clients as well. And then in the new year, as I mentioned, I'm going to be preparing my proposal to hopefully send out to literary agents. And this next book is based on the journey to, I like to call it excavating the self. So Mm -hmm. for people like me who have, you know, typically really erased our sense of self and replaced it with who we have been told to be instead, this will be a practical step-by-step guide to help you excavate all of the things that you've been told you should be and reconnect again with who you actually are and begin to make decisions from that place. Wow. I love it. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you. I'm excited to learn more from you and just, yeah, you're such a bright light. Oh, it was so nice talking to you. Yay! Yay, that was so nice. That was so, oh, was so, I loved it so much. Yay, 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 yay. Yay, I love it. I love it so much. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out. And this was such an incredible experience interviewing Kyra. I'm so glad that she, she actually, she followed me after I posted something that got reshared or something. And I, and I looked, something told me to look at her profile and I did. And I'm so glad I did because I, as soon as I looked at her Instagram, I knew that this was somebody I wanted to, to meet and to learn from. And I'm so honored and grateful that we got to spend this time together and have this amazing conversation that I know will inspire and impact so many others. So thank you for being here. Um, As I mentioned in the middle of the episode, I am now offering money makeover, uh, money story makeover sessions. They are one-on-one coaching. So reach out to me if you have questions or would like to schedule a session with me. I also have my Patreon space, which is a monthly membership There are two ways you can join the Patreon. The first way is the $8 a month where you get an exclusive podcast episode and money resources each month. And the, that is the all access tier. And then there's the all access plus tier, which is a, uh, includes the podcast episode, the resources and a live course, um, with me and the other Patreons or patrons. I never know. (laughs) whatever. So to join that, I will have that linked in the show notes along with all of the information for Kyra and for the money story makeover, um, how to learn more about that. All right, you guys, I will see you in the next one. Thank you so much for being here. Bye. Bye.